And as you might be able to tell by looking around you, today is a very special day. About six times a year, we observe the Lord's Supper together. A tradition that was created by Jesus Himself around 2,000 years ago. Where we remember some very important things. And before we talk about how we're going to partake today and partake together, I want to read to you what Jesus says about observing the Lord's Supper together. We want to look at that in the, in the book of Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 22. And uh, I want to look there because after we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to look at another passage in, in Acts chapter 1. And in case you didn't know, uh, God used the same guy to write both those books. Uh, Luke was written by Luke, and, and then he wrote the book of Acts as well. It's kind of a sequel, taking up where he left off in the Gospel of Luke. But here in Luke 22, starting in verse 14, here's what it says. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, in essence, what he's describing is what we do even here today, here in the year 2016, in Independence, Kentucky. We are celebrating a symbol that Jesus himself described. That the bread is a symbol of his body that was beaten, that was pierced, and crucified and put to death so that we could have life. And the juice, the fruit of the vine, representing his blood, which he specifically says represents a new covenant. The word covenant, it sounds like a good fancy churchy word that we might just kind of whisk by without giving it thought, but it literally means a contract. It literally means an agreement. So to, in order to fully grasp this, let, let's, let me just, in my own words, describe to you the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant would be simply this. You live up to my standards, then I will be with you and be your God, and you will be my people. That sums up the Old Covenant, the Old Agreement, the Law of Moses. But the New Covenant which he says was signed in blood by him, says this, You cannot live up to my standards. So I'm having my son do it instead. Take your place. So if you believe in him, then I will be with you and will be your God and you will be my people. I don't know about you, but I like the new contract better than the old one. I can't fulfill the old one. No one ever has. But the new one that Jesus made possible through His own death on the cross, through the shedding of His own blood, that is the one we observe today. And I've always wondered, I've thought, why, why do we do this? I mean, we've been doing this a long time. Why do, you know, sometimes traditions come and go and they fade away. Why is this so vitally important? 
I believe clearly that if we don't remember this, if we don't remember what this new covenant actually is, if we don't remember what Jesus actually did for us, we might slip into thinking Christianity is just another religion. I've said it once, I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it till I die. Christianity is not a religion. Jesus came because religion did not work. Instead, Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with God Himself made possible through what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And we don't want to ever forget that. Because if we do, we'll slip. We'll slip out of the mindset of the amazing grace of God. We'll slip out of the gratitude for what He has done. And we'll begin to think that maybe, just maybe, we can do something to earn it. Maybe, just maybe, God thinks we're pretty good. We're all okay. We're great. We have to step back and remember that because of Jesus Christ we are saved, but without Him we are lost. So as we observe the Lord's Supper today, we celebrate this new covenant. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, no matter when that was, you're invited to His table. The way this is going to work, I'm going to pray before we start. But before I pray, the way this is going to work when I'm done praying, when you are ready, and again, it's optional. You do not have to partake. Nobody's going to judge anyone if they stay in their seats, so feel free to do that if that's what you would like to do. But if you've placed your faith in Christ and you want to observe this, when you're ready, we invite you to stand and on this level, step into the middle aisle and come down to one of the two stations. You'll go back to your seats using the outer aisles. And we have a station up in the balcony as well so that you don't have to come all the way down here. And same thing, if you are ready, when you want to partake, you can step out and take the easiest exit to that table and get back to your seats. And we'll partake of both the bread and the juice at that time when you come to the table. You'll take a piece of bread and eat it, take a, a little cup of juice and drink of that, place it in the wastebasket. Now, if you have any mobility issues at all, please don't make yourself get up and come. I tried to explain that in the first service. I had one of my good friends like, wow, that was hard. I'm like, oh, I wish you would have slipped your hand up. Just don't have to make a big deal about it. Just get your hand up like that. Our deacons who are here manning each of these stations are looking for you. And they'll bring the juice and the bread to you so that you can still partake, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray and give thanks. And then we'll partake together. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know how to say thank you. The words just aren't enough for what we're about to remember, what you did for all of us is mind-blowing. And my whole life has changed because of what you did. And so today we just want to pause and worship you as we take of this bread and this juice. You are King Jesus. And we will worship you forever. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And help us to never forget that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Something a little bit powerful and emotional as a pastor to watch so many people get up out of their seats and go worship in this way. I know it's somewhat unusual for us to do it that way at times. Uh, but I love it. I wanted to point out to you 
Um, something that Jesus said in that passage we read in the book of Luke before we go into the book of Acts where Luke continues his account of Jesus. Before we go there, I want to go back to one thing he said as he was talking about this Lord's Supper that we observe. He said this in, in verse 18. He said, For I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Why does he say that? What's that all about? Well, I think, you know, logically speaking, we know that if you keep reading, he allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified on the cross and placed in the grave and he comes back to life. And if you know the Easter story, you know how that goes on from that point on. We know that's about to happen. So maybe this is his farewell to earth. You know, I'm not going to... This is it. This is my last drink from the fruit of the vine. But that word until the kingdom of God comes, man, I'm telling you, this is what's really powerful about what we just did. What we just did isn't just a remembrance of what Jesus did. It's an anticipation of what he's still going to do, what he hasn't done yet, what's about to happen. This whole idea that he is going to come back. And so this is a good segue into what is a new sermon series we're going to do called The King is Coming. We're going to be talking about the idea of his second coming. I'm going to tell you, there's lots of thoughts about this. Lots of ideas about this. I personally have at least to some extent been fascinated about the idea of the end of the world the end times or the second coming of Christ, however you want to call it. I've, on one hand, been fascinated by, by it. And at times I've been, I'll be honest, freaked out about the idea as well, if I'm being honest. I remember in my growing up years, there were certain things that I would hear about, that I would read about, that I would watch, that would spark me thinking, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's how the world's going to end. I remember we lived in my growing up years in fear of Russia dropping a nuclear bomb on us. That was the days I grew up in. And so all the different movies about the end of the world somehow involved a nuclear bomb from Russia. At one time, the other thing that I would hear about and watch about and read about was the idea that America would be invaded by killer bees. And that that would be how we go out. I was thinking, that is horrible. I can't think of a more nightmarish way for this thing to end than for the killer bees to come to America. I, I'm, I remember there'd be times I'd be playing and I'd see a lot more bees than usual. I'm like, oh, it's about, this is it. It's coming. <laughs> you know, and you think about those things. I don't know if you had those kind of moments too. I mean, I, would, I will be honest with you. There have been times when I've been in my house expecting to see my family there. And if I don't see them, I'm thinking... Did it happen? Did they get taken and I get left behind? The rapture's happened and I missed it. How did that happen? That's something, some of the things that come to my mind. I love, uh, I love my grandmother, uh, Carrie Boggs. And you've probably heard me talk about her if you've heard me share my story a little bit. And God really used her in a powerful way, a powerful way for me to even... I wouldn't be standing if it weren't for her. She was fascinated about the idea of the end times and Jesus coming back and what was that going to be like and when was it going to happen. She studied Revelation. One of the things that I got when she passed away and went on to be with the Lord is I grabbed her notebooks of all the notes that she had taken and all of her own studying, her own personal studying of the Bible and what it says about the end times. 
But I will also admit that that's how I learned from my mamma about the concepts such as the mark of the beast and antichrist and tribulation. And there were times when I would hear her talk about it and I didn't want to hear about it anymore. It was too freaky for me. And there were other times I heard about it and it sounded pretty awesome as well. So I don't know if you've wrestled with that tension, but the end of the world, end times, I even, I even like watching dramas on TV that talk about something like that happen. Like there was this one show that came on called Revolution, where apparently there was a power outage over the entire planet, and then everybody had to kind of live off the land, kind of like the Old West. And I thought, that's so cool. And I don't want it to happen, but it's kind of cool to think about. And I guess I was the only one watching it because they canceled the show before it even finished one season. Left on a cliffhanger. And I've decided that if there really is going to be a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to go find Jerry Kelch, our head of maintenance, and stay right where he is. Because he is the man with the plan already. Or Charlie Steger, one of our former pastors. He says he's got a plan if that happens. So this is the kind of stuff, strangely enough, that goes through your pastor's mind. And I apologize and confess about that. But it is what we all, I think, probably wrestle with as we look in today's news, as we look at what goes on around us. We wonder, could this be an indication that the end is near? When you look at things like ISIS, when you look at things like things happening that are a little bit unusual. I know I've talked to a lot of people at our church about the concept of four blood moons, something that we've heard maybe some people write articles about or write books about. And what does that mean? Is certain order of lunar eclipses, does that mean something? This past Friday was a black moon. I didn't even know that, but there was an article about it. I read it last night. That, that means there were two new moons in the same month. Apparently, not rare, rare, but not super common either. So people were wondering, <gasps> that's it. September 30th is the last day of existence. Well, we made it. We're good. All right, so we're here. But this is what happens in our minds. What about the decline of what we might call Christian values in America? This, does some of that, does all of that, does none of that indicate that the end is near? One thing that brings me comfort is if at times you've wondered if the end is near, you're not alone. Imagine what it was like to live in the days of Adolf Hitler in his regime and all the evil that he did. Do you wonder if maybe people thought, well, this is it. The end is near. <laughs> I even remember when Ronald Reagan became president, I had classmates tell me that he was the Antichrist. Because his first, middle, and last name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, each consisted of six letters. Six, six, six. What more proof do you need? Right there. I remember that very well. Here's the thing. We can get so confused by all the chatter about does this mean it's the end? Is this the sign of the times? We can get so confused by it. There's so much information, so many opinions being pushed around that we either go one of two ways. We either stay fascinated enough by it that we kind of dive in and kind of research and kind of try to figure it out and try to sort things through. And maybe we even enjoy it or maybe it frustrates us, but we kind of dive into it. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we say, this is crazy. I don't even want to think about it. And we just don't think about it at all. That tends to be the options that a lot of people choose from. Well, I'm going to offer you a third option. How about we figure out and focus on just what God says, not anybody else. I believe that God tells us all we need to know about the end of the world as we know it. Do you believe that? I 
I really believe. And the key words are all you need to know, probably. I think that we can emphasize that. But with those words being in that sentence, I believe that we can hopefully accept this as a truth. That this book that we call the Bible contains all we absolutely need to know about the end of the world as we know it. And if that's the case, here's what I'm asking us to do. Today, and especially the next three weeks as we continue in this sermon series. I want us to turn down the volume of all the chatter and turn up the volume of God's Word. Turn up the volume of the Bible. Turn up the volume of what Jesus actually says. Because here's the thing, between our tendency as humans to over-sensationalize almost anything that happens that's unusual or weird, between that and then all the other things we're taking in and hearing from outside of us, whether it be a book or a blog post or a movie or someone else's opinion, between those, those two things, there's a lot of noise out there. But what if we just turn it down? What if we wipe the slate clean and just see what God says about it? And here's the thing, once we better understand the second coming of King Jesus, we can properly calibrate our lives, and I would say as a pastor, we can properly calibrate our church to prepare for the coming King. And I would argue this, there is way more in this book about proper calibration than there is about prediction than there is about knowing when it's going to happen. A whole lot more about it. So, just to give you a little taste of where we're heading, next week we're going to talk about what Jesus says about His coming. He's the one coming. Let's see what He says about it. And turn down the volume of everything else. We're going to wipe the slate clean and just look at what he says. That'll be next week. The week after that, we'll actually talk about this concept of the signs of the times. And then we'll close with week four about the concept of getting ready. Okay? So that's where we're heading. Before we close today, I want us to look in Acts chapter 1. As God inspired Luke to write the gospel account of Luke. And then write the sequel, the book of Acts. In chapter 1, starting in verse 6, and this is a passage we read, looked at a few weeks ago, we see something pretty cool here. Starting in verse 6, verses uh, through verse 11, it says this, Then they, talking about the followers of Jesus, the disciples, these 11 men who lived with him for three years, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks as well. But boy, let that verse sink in. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right. 
So, it's exciting. I don't want you to miss the obvious thing in that passage. There's lots of things that might have jumped out to you like, whoa, this is really cool. We can chase some of those rabbits as we move forward into this sermon series. But I don't want you to miss the most obvious thing about this passage. And all of Christianity hinges on this. These three words. Jesus is alive. When we read the Luke 22 passage before we partook of the Lord's Supper together, He had not died yet. When we take up this passage in Acts chapter 1, He's saying this after He did everything He was saying He was going to do when He described the Lord's Supper to them. His body had been beaten, bruised, pierced. His blood had been spilt. His body placed in a grave. And on the third day, He stepped out of that grave. And he stood before these men. And he had already appeared to them before this time. He'd eaten with them. One of them had even placed his hands into his wounds that were on his wrists and on his feet, his side. All of that had taken place. They witnessed a risen, resurrected Jesus. A man who had stepped out of his grave. And this is the most important truth of all of Christianity. Because here's the truth. If he's not alive... He ain't coming back. So all this coming back talk is, well, it's worthless chatter if he's not alive. But I believe he's alive. And in fact, that's what it means to actually be a Christian. They were first, the believers were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. Why? Because they were like miniature Christ. They were, they were like him. And what were these guys doing in Antioch? They were telling people, guess what? That Jesus, who died on that cross, we saw him after he was buried. He's alive and well. And he's coming back. That was the gospel. That was the good news. So what, what are we going to do about that? Why are, we, why are we even talking about that? What is the practicality of this? Well, here it is. This is what I believe we must do to spend the rest of our lives. Now what? Kind of the now what question. Well... He's alive. He's coming back. So do what Jesus told us to do until he comes back. I'll say it another way. The guy that said he would die and come back to life and pulled it off, I'm doing whatever he says. I'm doing whatever he says. He tells me to go somewhere, I'm going. He tells me to do something, I'm doing it. That's who I'm following. Christianity, the Christian life, can be summed up very succinctly in this. People who are willing to let their every whim of life be whatever that guy who stepped out of his grave says to do. Jesus is alive. If the most important upcoming event in the universe is King Jesus' return, then the most important thing in my life is to get ready for it. I've spent a lot of time and effort getting ready for lesser events than this. (laughs) And they're pretty big events, though. Don't get me wrong. I sometimes think about, as a pastor, get to do a lot of weddings. And apparently, it's come to my uh, knowledge, people have told me this, that Baptist pastors are known for their short wedding ceremonies. And people like that. I I found out people appreciate that. I actually had someone come up to me right before a funeral, the next of kin, so it wasn't someone being weird, but the next of kin said, buddy, we need this funeral to be very short because we have some drama in our family. 
So if you could make this about as short as a Baptist wedding, I'd really appreciate it. And all I could do is laugh when he said that. I said, I will do that for you. I don't like drama at funerals either, so we made it quick. But I'm amazed at the, literally, I'm learning that people will schedule the wedding years in advance. Why? Because the venues are scheduled years in advance. Years and work and money. And then they come to me on that day and I just get it done in a half hour. It's a lot of preparation for such a short little event. But I'm here to tell you, the coming king, the end of the world as we know it, it's a big event. Be the most important event coming up in the human race's existence. So I would think if that's true, that the most important thing I could do is get ready for it. My favorite part of that Acts 1 passage is that God had to send angels to those 11 dudes and say, Hey, stop looking up in the sky and go do what Jesus told you to do. Did you catch that? If we're not careful when it comes to thinking of end times, when it comes to thinking of Jesus' return, we will stop and just look into that sky and say, okay, well, I'm just going to park right here till you get back or I die, whichever comes first. Well, that's not what he called us to do. It's not what he commanded us to do. It's not why he's not come back yet. He doesn't, he's not delaying his return just so that he can watch us stare into the clouds hoping that he'll come as soon as he can. We have some things to do to get ready. And we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks as we go through this together. So what might be your next step today? Well, I think this first idea is of utmost importance because none of this will ever really sink in or make any sense to you unless you take this next step with Jesus, and that is this. Believe that he is alive. If you do not believe he is alive, this is poppycock. <laughs> this makes no sense. It's a conversation not worth having because dead man ain't coming back. But he's alive. God's word says he's alive. Do you believe that? This is the big step of faith part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is the big step of faith part that it means to be what we call a Christian. You can say whatever you want to say, and people may have told you what it means to be a Christian over and over and over and over and over again, but I will simplify it for you today. It's people who believe that this man named Jesus absolutely did what he said he would do. That he died for us and stepped out of his grave so that we could step out of ours too. If we just believe. But do you believe? Have you taken that step of faith to say, okay, I believe in you, Jesus. It's a step. I wrestled with it too. I finally had a choice to make. Either I walk away from it and don't believe it or I stake my very life on it. And when I was 15, I staked my very life on it. And I'm here to tell you it's changed me forever. And it will change you forever. If you will believe. But maybe you've never even thought about the idea. Maybe, maybe you've never heard about the concept of Him coming back. Maybe that's a new concept. I'd suffice it to say, probably everybody in here at some point has thought about the end of the world and rapture and those things. And maybe you've chosen to not even think about it because it's too weird, too confusing. Or maybe you're a junkie. You love talking about that kind of stuff and diving into it and trying to figure it out. Whichever one you are, let's just be simple today and ask this question. Do you believe He's coming back? If you believe that, 
And by the way, the word, the word of God, the Bible says He is. And the next question is, what are you going to do until then? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your days till then? We're going to talk a lot about that in the coming weeks. But in the quietness of this moment, as we begin to close our time together, will you wrestle with that before God? Have you taken a step of faith and believe that He's alive? Do you believe He's coming back? And what are you doing until then?